Our lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke. This passage, commonly referred to as the Presentation of Jesus, centers around the Song of Simeon, an announcement and proclamation of Jesus as the Messiah and the revelation to the entire world, not simply the Savior of his own community. Simeon announces Jesus to the world, and so inspired by the good news, Anna, a devout woman of older age, hears about Jesus and spreads the word. She faithfully embraces the baby Jesus and the hope that he provides. Listen for the hints of wonder in this passage. I invite you to imagine yourself in the scene. How would you react to Simeon's song? In wonder, amazement, shock, or incredulity? The child of God, the beginning and the end is here, incarnate and amongst us, but in a surprising form, a child. Even Jesus' own parents are amazed. Why might God come into the world as a child? A reading from Luke. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what is customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, for which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and is to be a sign that will be opposed, so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped there with fasting and prayer night and day. At that moment she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had finished everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Will you please pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorified in your sights for you, O God, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In May 2021, Disney Channel actress turned pop punk icon released her highly anticipated album, Sour. Olivia Rodrigo was little known celeb to most people before last year having starred in a few Disney Channel shows, including a program 
that though I'm 24, I have admittedly watched in full. High School Musical, the musical, the series. The show is as ridiculous as it sounds, but I happen to have a lot of time on my hands in the winter of 2021. Prior to her album release, Rodrigo dropped her smash hit single, Driver's License, which essentially broke the internet, garnering the most single day streams for a non-holiday song, inspiring many podcasts, much Twitter discourse, and even a skit on SNL, Rodrigo solidified her mainstream stardom. The song Driver's License is about a breakup that puts words to the emotions that many 17-year-olds who have experienced heartbreak um, have experienced. Rodrigo speaks beautifully and poignantly to the pain. The full-length album follows much of the same themes, and most of the songs are about that same highly rumored and very storied breakup. While most people really enjoyed the album, many also commented on the one-dimensionality of it. Critics, all the way from the major publications to amateurs on the internet, talked about looking forward to see how she grows. While I hear where they're coming from, in each critique that is looking for a change in content, I can't help but also hear a dismissal. While I too am looking forward to seeing where her career takes her, I'm also moved by what she has shown us so far. She is taking her experiences and speaking to them profoundly and honestly. I recently listened to a podcast called Switched on Pop about age and pop music. 17, unsurprisingly, inspires the most art. Songs from Edge of 17 to Dancing Queen depict 17 as a folkloric time where the narrator is naive and wide-eyed, but has access to the fun and spontaneity that many adults long for. That's why I find the discourse around Olivia Rodrigo's album so interesting. There's a part of us that is so nostalgic for what we think 17 is like. But when we hear the actual voice of a young person, we dismiss it as naive. We would rather reflect as a 30-year-old on being the dancing queen rather than listen to the singer-songwriter who talks about it being brutal out here like Rodrigo does. We want the carefree fun of, act of being young without actually wrestling with the hardship that young people experience, especially right now. Of course, the ways that we think, feel, and what we experience are all very limited when we're in high school. And I'll be the first to say that I'm very thankful I'm no longer the person I was when I was 17. But why are we so quick to dismiss the voices of young people? For the purposes of this sermon, I'm talking about youth and childhood very broadly, all the way from babyhood to high school. And unfortunately, there are very few passages and stories in our Bible that depict Jesus as a young person. It is almost as if we go from baby to full-blown adults in a matter of days. The infancy Gospel of Thomas depicts more stories about Jesus as a child, a messy, chaotic, and sometimes vengeful child who grapples with many of the same things that we all did as children, how to regulate our emotions and put aside our own self-interest, and also how to have fun. But this gospel account was dismissed and is not part of our traditional Bibles, and in some spaces, I might even be considered a heretic for bringing this up. The passage for this morning, though, makes reference to Jesus as a young person who grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. How did Jesus become the person that Jesus became? What growth and change did he undertake? Did Jesus have his heart broken? But more than the heartbreak of romance gone awry, youth are hurting on a larger level. 
they are channeling their grief and turning it into collective action. For example, students and young people are emerging as the faces of the climate justice movement. Young people are fighting for the future of our Earth while speaking to the intersecting issues that perpetuate climate change and result in disparate outcomes of environmental collapse. Mari Kopany became an activist for her hometown of Flint, Michigan, when she wrote to President Barack Obama back in 2016. She has continued to be an advocate since. As she told Vox in a 2019 interview, the climate movement needs to address the issues of environmental racism because it is a huge part in the climate movement yet is treated by most as a non-issue. Isra Hersai, the daughter of Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, is the executive director of the U.S. Youth Climate Strike, which focused on taking bold, radical action to address climate change. The Sunrise Movement is a national movement that is using collective action, education campaigns, and creating innovative strategies for green jobs with people at the forefront of the revolution. I pray that we can turn the tide on climate catastrophe. And in hoping, I'm turning towards the leadership, passion, intellect, and conviction of young people. They are speaking about these issues with directness, clarity of purpose, and compassion. Simultaneously, I'm lamenting the fact that young people have suffered at the hands of our collective failures to care for our earth and for one another. It is worth repeating, young people are, changing the, are paving the way for social change across the world and across many different issues. They're showing us in their collective action what resilience looks like, but they are also models of resilience in more intimate moments. In 2019, I worked for a housing nonprofit in Minneapolis. I was a program assistant for an after-school tutoring program for elementary school aged children living in a transitional housing unit. My job was to craft specific lesson plans for younger children who had just moved in after living in shelter. In preparation for this work, I attended a tr training sessions about adverse childhood experiences, and I learned one of my most important lessons on adulthood there. For children, joy, laughter, and a sense of carefreeness are all signs that a child is resilient. Unlike adults who carry with us certain weight in our pain and certain expectations for what grief looks like, children are less encumbered. They often cope with trauma through joy. Now, this is not to glorify any kind of suffering. And I don't want to silver line any hardship that children unjustly experience, even if they know how to respond in joy. I hope to live in a world where no child or any person for that matter has to be resilient in the face of structural oppression or neglect. I want to work to change the conditions for people who are suffering. So while I can look to children I worked with as models of joy and resilience, I'm also committed to working towards a world where no person, family, or child experiences homelessness. Simply, children notice things that adults do not. They have a sensitive awareness of things that we have conditioned ourselves to look past. They are not hardened by the world we have created. They are hoping to become co-creators of a new world. When someone falls on the playground and hurts themselves, they go and get help. When someone needs something, they provide it or they ask older people in their lives to. They're not tied up in the logic that we adults can sometimes be caught in, and they don't always need to decide whether or not someone is worthy of love. They extend it freely and openly. To me, these values are the very essence of the gospel and the life of Jesus Christ. 
Jesus' birth ushers in a new world where the oppressive social order is overturned and traditional power structures are toppled. Jesus' life is a reminder to hold on to the hope in a more just and habitable future for everyone. And the question of worthiness is one that Jesus completely deconstructs. Jesus implores us, his followers, to do the same, to offer care and compassion to all people and especially to the least of these. As the conversation between the disciples and Jesus goes, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And Jesus replied, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Furthermore, the gospel invites us to listen to the voices of young people, not in its actual depiction of young people because the narratives about youth are sparse, but in its depiction of the prophetic voices that we don't want to listen to or aren't equipped to handle. Into the tenderness it suggests that we lean into, in the sincere vulnerability that it requires of us as followers of Jesus, and its suggestion that we rely a little bit more on community and reject distorted senses, distorted idea of self-reliance, and its hope for joy, which all people are deserving of. These are all lessons that young people are trying to and have tried to teach us lessons found in the gospel. After all, as Pastor Seth reminded us on Christmas Eve, Messiah came to us as a baby, not as a person of power and authority, but as a baby in need of care and community. Jesus came into the world first as a person of vulnerability and tenderness. This is a remarkable shift for our culture, which values productivity and power and warped ideas about what is worthy of attention shaped by what my professor of theology, Dr. Willie Jennings, would call white male self-sufficiency. His recent book, titled After Whiteness, An Education and Belonging, I encourage everyone to check out. His book is about the project of theological education, which as a divinity school student, I'm particularly interested in, but I think the message for all faith seekers is vital. He discusses how our insistence on promoting the co-constructs of whiteness and individualism is hurting our attempts at healing our communities, our world, and the church. Instead, he invites us to embrace our space in the crowd, the same crowd that followed Jesus, the same crowd that was present for the birth of God's child in Bethlehem, the same crowd that announced Jesus, the salvation for all people, a revelation for all, and the glory to your people, Israel. Instead of relying on ourselves, we are asked to find ourselves in community, in the host of witnesses. We are called to find ourselves in the same community of Anna and Simeon. As I'm entering further into adulthood, I'm forgetting more and more what it is like to be a child. To repeat, of course I'm grateful for the growth I've made from my limited worldview. And I still have a lot to learn about adulthood, and even most, more so about parenthood. I do not know what it is like to endure the, the tantrum of a two-year-old or have sleepless nights with a newborn or have teenage children who decide to be contrarian for no specific reason. But I invite us all to think a little bit more intentionally about what children and young people in our lives can teach us in the coming year. I invite us all to lean into the lessons of joy, community and friendship, conviction and tenderness. 
I will leave with an adapted blessing that one of my professors, Dr. Mark Heim, wrote for a worship service. I'm using this blessing because it is a reminder to get back to the basics, the basics that we teach our school children, but that we adults so often and easily forget. Lord, help us to not forget. Holy One, bless us, your school children, for another week. Grant that we may play well together, that no one eats the crayons, that we may be sure that none are left out when we pick sides on the playgrounds, and that no one goes home hurt. Thank you that we take no votes here on who is most likely to succeed. All of us are too aware that to be at the head of Christ's class is a very dangerous place. All of us are terrified by what it might be, might it, it might take to be chosen the most faithful. We do not really want to excel at what you're asking of us, and yet we do want to learn, to be your friends, and to be what we do not yet believe or know that we can be. We want to belong to your school of grace. So teach us the lessons we need, whatever we study. Help us with the basics. To look both ways and then always to look up before crossing the intersections in our lives. To hold hands on all our field trips in the world. To talk to strangers. To hang out with the wrong crowd. When we remember to bring our lunch, help us remember those who have none. When we bemoan our homework, Remind us of those who have no home and would love to have work. When we begin to measure our class standing, remind us what matters to you. You have designs to make us wise. You have hopes to make us faithful. You have power to make us new. Let it be so, for the sake of the world you love so much. In Christ's name, in the Spirit's power, and in the mystery's wonder. Amen.